Welcome to The Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, less ukulele. On this episode, have you ever wondered what it'd be like to encounter the pure essence of a hop? Well, you can with terpene extracts. I'm sitting down with Matt Humbert of Patton Brewing Company and the Milk the Funk podcast to talk about making and using hop aroma extracts and what six pounds of hop pellets can turn into with a little bit of science. But first, a message from our sponsors. Explore the history of tart, fruity, and refreshing Goza-style beer with the latest book from Brewer's Publication, Goza, Brewing a Classic German Beer for the Modern Era. Written by award-winning veteran brewer Fal Allen, Goza includes 27 recipes including Sea Quench Sour from Dogfish Head Craft Brewery and Ruben Brewer's 2017 Great American Beer Festival gold medal winning Goza. Right now, Brewer's Publications is giving experimental homebrewing listeners a discount on Goza. Go to brewerspublications.com and use code EXPERIMENTAL to take 20% off Goza. That's right, you'll save 20% when you use code EXPERIMENTAL at brewerspublications.com. The American Homebrewers Association, a community of more than 45,000 individuals who share a common passion, beer. Since 1978, the AHA has promoted and advanced the most delicious hobby in the world, providing brewing resources, supporting homebrewer-friendly legislation, offering exclusive member deals at breweries and homebrew shops, and hosting one-of-a-kind events like HomebrewCon and the National Homebrew Competition. Join your beer-loving peers at homebrewersassociation.org. Family-owned Atlantic Brew Supply is the biggest homebrew shop in the Southeast. No gimmicks, no multinational corporate overlords, and no BS. Unique ingredients from local suppliers, including malt from neighboring artisan malt house Epiphany Craft Malts and award-winning recipe kits, including the Toll, Raleigh Brewing Company's GABF-winning Imperial Oatmeal Stout, Plus, we've got pro-level equipment and the best-in-cask supply equipment from sister companies ABS Commercial and Cask Supply. Malts, extracts, and more, all available by the ounce, an on-site calculator to help you craft your best brew, same-day order processing, and guaranteed two-day shipping for East Coast customers. Get 15% off your first order when you use the coupon code BREWFILES at checkout at Atlantic Brew Supply. I did the first extraction in my home. I didn't have a way to close the system off, and so it was just dripping out the bottom into an open flask. My wife came home, and she said that she could smell it in the driveway. And it was so pungent that my eyes were watering um, because it was a pound of Simcoe. And it was it was the most intense hop aroma I'd ever been around when I put my face down in the beaker. Well, I'm putting your face down in the beaker sounds like a perfect way to start. So, uh, hello, everybody. Welcome to the, the Brew Files. And the voice that you just heard talking is one Mr. Uh, Matt. Matt, introduce yourself. Yeah, my name is Matt Humbard. Um, I'm the 
Ed Brewer and founder of Patent Brewing Company and a host of the Milk to Funk the Podcast, one of the hosts of Milk to Funk the Podcast. Sorry, I didn't work up a bio. Trust me, that's enough of a bio. Uh, so obviously we're we're here. We're not talking about funky things because that, that's your territory in, in other worlds. But we are talking about, um, as we just alluded to with your little story, a lot of hops because American brewers, well, we're all about the hops. Apparently that's our primary way of distinguishing ourselves from everybody else. And in the past on the podcast, we've talked about additional ways for you to get hop aroma and, and hop flavor into things and hop bitterness. But just recently I put out a call, you know, it's my 45th birthday. So I wanted to do something funny and it turns out my birthday is on April 20th, which made me go and look up stuff about hop terpenes. So, Reaching out on the Facebooks, I said to people, can anybody help me with that? And Matt was kind enough to respond. Or uh, kind enough or a sucker enough to respond? I don't know. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I definitely responded. Uh, well, so let's uh, let's talk a little bit about you and beer. So how did you get involved into brewing enough that you decided to not only be a podcast host and write a blog, but now also have your own brewing company? I don't know. My path through beer has been very circuitous. Um, I started brewing when I was in graduate school, getting my PhD in microbiology. And I sort of, it's a mild embarrassment, but it took me a really long time before I realized that I could apply the things I was learning in the lab to beer. Um, and once I realized I could do that, I became an amateur beer scientist and started experimenting with beer and experimenting with yeasts. I moved into the sour and funky world pretty quick, but I started playing with extracts of hops and extracts of malts a couple of years ago and trying to figure out how how to solve a couple problems that I see in the beer industry, which is like misutilization of ingredients such as hops. There's been a bigger push to get more and more hops into beer, but you can't just keep dry hopping. You eventually get ashiness or hop burn or you're, you're getting bad extraction efficiencies. And I thought this was something that people have solved 100, 100 years ago, at least. And we can just apply that solution to beer again. So in other words, you're looking at like, you know, yeah, those massive dry hop amounts. And we've talked on the podcast about like uh, Shellhammer's research and talking about, yeah, uh, was it eight grams per liter? And you start to get all the bad stuff as opposed to the good stuff that you want. So this is really just a another way of getting better utilization, better extraction, better efficiency in terms of your ingredients. Exactly. And I didn't really answer your question about why this is resulting in me opening a brewery. But um, a few years ago, I, I had a brewery in, in the D.C. area, and that's where I'm based out of is the mid-Atlantic D.C. region. And we decided to close that brewery because... Um, we had partnership issues and reopen a business that was going to focus on quality control and uh, microbiology and chemistry for breweries. Because in this region, there aren't any large breweries or not really. There's Flying Dog, but uh, all the breweries around here are really tiny and none of them are doing any microbiology or water chemistry or things like that. Very few of them are. And I started since I was in the industry for a few years, I knew all these guys and a lot of them were saying what we really need is someone to help us out in this area. And so I was like, yeah, sure. I'll open, I'll start a business and start doing that. And it's interesting to see I, the, the 
we are seeing a rise in sort of independent small beer labs. You know, we've worked with Dana up at Oregon Brew Lab, for instance, and it seems like every region has somebody who's kind of gone, wait, I have these skills and there's a niche that needs filling. Yeah, that's definitely been my experience out here. We very quickly took over the yeast services of, of a couple of breweries just as like a pilot program. They're super happy with it, saving them money. It's improving the quality of their beer and it's inserting us into the conversation. People email patent all the time asking if we were taking on more breweries. At what point does that become like, uh, I need more bodies? Uh, very soon. The model for patent is basically it's a brewery that sells the yeast and the beer. And the, the brewery will be a showroom where other breweries can come and sort of sample interesting hop products and hot and yeast products that have been put into beers that we're serving in in that space and then order them from us. Let's break down into the toys that you made me because, as I said, my my birthday brew was on April 20th because that's my birthday. And, of course, I've, for years I've dealt with stoner jokes because everybody's like, dude, you're born on 420. And the stoner jokes are better than the Hitler jokes. I'll just say that right there. One of the things being here in California, we've had a lot of legal marijuana stuff in it over the past few years. And we've seen a rise in like these THC extracts and terpene extracts and you know, things to make you know really dank. But we know that marijuana and hops are cousins, botanically speaking. So what the heck is a terpene? Yeah, so terpenes aren't limited to marijuana and hops or that that family. Terpene is it's a chemistry term for a type of compound um, that's made and by a lot of organisms, but plants like to make them a lot. Um, they're used as basically signaling molecules or um, attractants. There's a bunch of different kinds of terpenes. A terpene is just a category of, of chemicals. Um, they're very hydrophobic, and so they're oily, uh, and they chain. They can polymerize and cyclize and things like that, and you get all these interesting structures. But a terpene is this little like five or six carbon, I can't remember how many carbons, little branched chain um, hydrocarbon. And because you said it's hydrophobic, it means it doesn't like to go into water. Right. So it's it's oil. It's like cooking oil. Uh, the consistency of the stuff I sent you, I added a, an emulsifier to it to help it dissolve in water. But when it was in the jar before I did that, it was um, solid and it was um, liquid and um, inorganic, or organic phase. So it looked like two levels of things that couldn't mix. I have these little uh, nice brown Wheaton bottles in front of me. Actually, I have two bottles, and we'll get into this in a moment. These little Wheaton bottles in front of me that have, yeah, I mean, they uh, they look like some sort of milk of the poppy type thing if we're going to bust out a Game of Thrones reference. Uh, a very, a very milky solution. And the second that you open the bottle, I don't even have to have it anywhere near my nose. It's just, yeah, wow. <laughs> so... The, the, the terpenes then, I mean, would it be fair to say, uh, to summarize it in a very sort of fourth grade level that the terpenes are what we think of as the aromatic compounds in a lot of the hops? Yeah, in, in plants, the terpenes are what people would refer to as the essential oil fraction. And I know that's essential oil is used in a lot of alternative woo and stuff, but it's actually a chemistry term that comes from several hundred years ago. That means the essence of that thing. And it is the aromatic compounds basically it's the it's the things that boil off at really low temperatures and so you can smell them because they're the aromatic yeah these these smell amazing so but let's talk about these versus say 
the other extracts that we've talked about on the podcast, you know, like the bittering extracts, the the goo that you can get in the hundred gram can that you have to dissolve into something before it will go and bitter your beer. And that's all just extracting alpha acid, right? It might be useful to talk about how we extract this and that might differentiate um, this from, from the other thing. The way that I made these extracts for you, I did it the very um, rough way, which is I had a, a flask of boiling water that was generating steam, and I had a large globe, like circular, spherical flask that was filled with T90 pellets of hops, and the steam would rise up through that and get captured in this glass tube that was jacketed and circulating cold water, the steam would recondense and the oil would recondense and it would fall down into a collection vessel that I had purchased. And so then the, the water and the oil would be separated in that, in that collection vessel. Right. And I remember you posted a couple of videos and we'll make sure to have links to those and the separation vessel, you could very clearly see not like a milky white opaque liquid layer, but you could kind of see what looked almost like gray goo hanging out on top of the water and that and that was the oil. Yeah, that was the oil there. And so what what that what this is doing that's different than the other extractions is is you're not using any solvent or anything on the actual plant material. You're just passing steam through it. And so the only thing that can the only thing that can condense down into the collection vessel is something that can evaporate. In other words, for the hops, then those aromatic compounds that volatilize very easily. Yeah, anything that anything that has a boiling point less than water um, and can be ex- or can be extracted by water is the thing that could come out. And so all of the oils, all of the terpene compounds have boiling points that are way less than the boiling point of water. And so they were basically carried. They can't mix with the water, obviously, because they separate out, but they're carried by the steam down the distillation arm into the collection vessel or into the column where it's the temperature of the column is way, way less because of the circulation of the water. And so everything goes from the gas phase back into the liquid phase and then drips down the column into the um, collection vessel. In other words, this is just good old fashioned distillation using water as or actually not water steam as your as your distillation mechanism is your solvent mechanism and then allowing that then to condense down thanks to cooling, you know, just like you would if you were running a pot still. And in some ways, actually, that's what this reminded me of. It reminded me of kind of like an all glass pot still that you're running. Yeah, this is definitely the same technology as any, any still. Um, this is like, I'm using a, a ground glass um, chemistry still like that you would find in a chemistry laboratory, like an organic chemistry laboratory or, or a pharmaceutical company. Uh, yeah, this is the technology. You could definitely do this in a pot still as well. Um, I don't know what your recovery would be, but you could definitely do it in a still. I've, I actually looked at a couple of big pot stills if I wanted to scale this up using this dirty method. Um, there are other methods to, to isolate these that people argue are more efficient, but I think I think it really comes down to cleanliness of the final product like i'm also extracting some of the wax and there's not a whole lot of wax in hops but it's definitely probably about 30 or 40 percent of the product i sent you was the the wax from the leaves too which will be because these are the pelletized ground up hops but all the leaf matter is still there so you're getting a little bit of that wax too the wax doesn't have much of a flavor or aroma and it shouldn't affect 
like anything, any property in the beer, because it's still in a very, very low concentration and subject to the same emulsification as everything else. But uh, if you really cared, or if you're a hardcore chemist, or just really got off in this kind of stuff, you would, you could fractionate that stuff as well. Well, and so, and I think what we've decided is that there's now suddenly a way above board use for all those uh, still attachments that people are making for things like the Pico or for, uh, you know, the grandfathers. <laughs> like, here, now you can go make your own. Yeah, I, I have no knowledge of the Pico or the grandfather, unfortunately. But uh, if you have a still, you can definitely do this. What are the big challenges then? Because, I mean, it seems like, okay, in the setup that I saw, you had your water separated away from the hops because I assume that you, you just want steam touching the hops. You don't want to steep the hops, right? Um, so when I was researching this, process you could do both i mean the scientist part of me took over and i was like i don't want any uh i want the fewest number of unknowns possible and i don't know what would happen if you boiled hops for five hours and that's how long this takes an extraction takes five to six hours and so when you asked me to do like like eight of them or <laughs> i was like yeah sure <laughs> if only i knew what i was, I was asking I mean, I could set it up, and I don't. I don't have to sit there and babysit it. But um, yeah, it would be one of those things where I'd set it up in the morning, and then in like midday, and then another one after dinner, and then turn it off and go to bed, sort of thing. And I would collect since I was doing the same hop over and over and over again for you. I would collect them continuously, so I wouldn't clean the machine every time or clean the still every time, and I would just take the bio biomass flask off and refill it and put it back in and do another new, another run on top of that run. Well, and let's talk about that because we've got, I mean, you sent me two different varieties, you know, one with CTZ and one with Citra, which is what I'd asked for. And, you know, because the idea was I want something fruity and I want something dank to play into the 420 theme. And this was enough for a 40 gallon batch is I think what we is what we had originally said or 50 gallon batch actually. Yeah, that's about right. So in order to get enough terpene extract for a 50 gallon batch, how many pounds of hops did you go through? Well, we did three pounds of CTZ and three pounds of Citra. So six pounds total. Yikes. And I, I ended up doing an extra pound of Citra because um, I broke a piece of glassware in the middle of a run and had, had to buy another one. I texted you when that happened. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I remember when that happened. I was like, "Oh, that's unfortunate." Yeah, my, um, it scared my son. But other than that, everything was fine. With this particular thing, we had just talked about the fact that okay, so these essential oils are hydrophobic. They they don't want to go into water, right? They don't want to mix very well. So, I mean, my chefy mind says, "Well, okay, great, break out a whisk and beat it into an emulsion, or with something like a lecithin, or you know, like an egg white or mustard, or sorry, egg yolk." Not egg white, egg yolk or mustard, but of course you can't do that with with beer, and that's the reason for the second set of bottles, right? Yeah, the second set of bottles is the hydrolysate, which was the water fraction that also contains some of the more um, soluble fractions, and they have a much weaker aroma. I don't know if you opened one of those as well. I haven't because I, I wanted to make sure before I opened any of those that I wasn't going to screw something up. No, they they smell they smell like really dilute hops is is what it is, and it's just because my process isn't. Um, really efficient um, and so I added I added a little lecithin to the oil to help bring it and that's why it's that milky white and I recommended to you that you mix the two because I think like that that should be enough solubility 
to to blend the two, and it's it saves some of that more soluble fraction. Well, and, and I think also it'll make it easier since I'm farming this out to multiple brewers who are there with me during that day. It makes the dosing a lot easier. Yeah, and so it's I, I provided a little bit over a little bit more than 500 milliliters of the hydrolysate, which is the water fraction, and then about 40 or 50 milliliters of the oil fraction. So half liter plus. You know, like we said, about you know, fifty milliliters. So if I mix those two together, and that gives me what five hundred and fifty-ish milliliters of solution, maybe a total six hundred-ish. There we go. So six. Say I have six hundred milliliters of solution. How much of that goes into a five-gallon batch? It's a few milliliters, right? So it would be like six to ten milliliters. It's really it's too taste, right, or too aroma. It really depends on how much you want in there. But every one of those, so there are three pounds of hops in there, and this is basically a 100% extract because I, I let it run for hours. And I I have a sealed, relatively sealed system, so I don't lose a lot to evaporation, a little bit, but not not a lot with that little collector on there. This is basically everything that's there. So you have to think about what your dry hopping rate is. And so if your dry hopping rate is like four ounces, four or five gallons, which is probably what I dry hop at, four to six ounces per five gallons, you're looking at 10 milliliters for a five-gallon batch. And, and that's 10 milliliters of the of the combina- combination of the two. Yeah, 10, 10, 10, 15 milliliters. But it really depends on how much aroma you want in the batch oh come on you know it's on brewers yeah they want exactly all of it. <laughs> i mean we when when we were experimenting with this i i did a pound of cascade and i just collected them together the water and the oil and just added the emulsifier and mixed them together and took a and took a little micro pipetter i i purchased years ago off of ebay and shot like 100 microliters into a beer and it was really strong like very strong so, I mean, this is the, the, the terpene, uh, the aroma extract that, that you made for me. Thank you. And, of course, like I said, this is going to go into that beer. So now when they're making bitterness extracts, I mean, they don't care about any of these aromatics. Right? They're just they're just grabbing the alpha acid. Right. So and then th- that's the stuff that ends up like tarry resin. They don't they don't make something that's, you know, more hydro friendly. Yeah, that's them getting they're doing some sort of solvent extraction and then boiling it down. We know that there have been other aroma and flavor oils out there in the past. So have you have you ever had the chance to play with those? What, what do you think is uh, different about this? Because I can tell you that these smell so much better than the old stuff that, that I've seen on, on the market. And I haven't seen that stuff in forever. Yeah, I, I've never used anything other than a hop shot from like an extract point of view. And I did a collaboration brew with a brewery that loves the cryo hops, which I know they call those extracts, but I don't think they actually are extracts. I just think they're freeze-dried. Um, so I don't, I wouldn't consider that an extract. And I actually think freeze-drying probably damages the aroma fraction of the hop, um, potentially. But uh, no, I've never used the the other ones. Uh, this seemed such, this, uh, this seems like such a clean and easy solution to this problem because there's a lot of dry hopping happening at the commercial level where you're looking at several pounds a barrel of hops and you start to get this grassiness or you start to extract the chlorophyll. Um, and you is, lose beer. 
Yeah, and that's the other thing, and this is the thing that gets breweries like super excited about this coming online. When I talk with pro brewer, brewers, they lose a ton of beer to dry hopping, and there's no there's no absorption here. It's just adding another liquid, and not very much liquid. It's a few liters for like a commercial skies, a small commercial batch, right? And there's no dilution or anything at that scale, no noticeable dilution. But the the chlorophyll fraction stays in the flask. You can't you can't extract it with just water. Um, it's it's too bound up and it's too hard to extract that way. And so you're not going to get that. You don't get bitterness either. Uh, and you, it, you you wouldn't get bitterness from dry hopping anyway, or at least not a lot. You get more of those tannins and polyphenols from the dry hopping. Exactly. And that's also an off flavor in high quantities. And then the other thing that this takes care of is hop creep. You don't get any extra attenuation from your dry hopping. And I know this isn't a huge problem, but it's a problem that people are beginning to notice more. Well, and we've talked about it a bunch on the podcast because people are suddenly going, wait, what? Yeah, people people are becoming aware of hop creep. And this this does that this removes that possibility as well well because all that's bound up in the plant material yeah and it's destroyed by the steam right i mean it's like even if it could get out it's all denatured by the temperature right so i mean that can be that should be measured but that is my hypothesis is that is that you're not transferring any amylase activity over through the oil it's definitely a good hypothesis something that we that we should test I mean, we covered how to use it. Let me ask, because you were talking about efficiency and, and like leftovers, one, I'm guessing, well, actually, before we get there, I'm guessing also because of the fact that this is just the hop oil, we wouldn't necessarily see the the haze uh, sort of reaction that you get with the dry hopping in in primary with certain yeast strains and all that, right? Because this this wouldn't have some of those polyphenols that you need. Yeah, the haze that comes from the polyphenol wouldn't be there. Um, for sure. The emulsifier does add some haze, though. I talked with a couple brewers uh, six-ish months ago that I knew used emulsifiers in the past to figure out which ones that they had used. And they had all been using them to try to stabilize haze in beer. Right. And and you have other compounds out there like Tanalay from Enjinomoto. Exactly. Right? Yep. And they were, so that was the application that they were using them for. Emulsifiers in beer is not a new idea. They they were wildly popular a hundred years ago, um, and they were popular because they're trying to reduce their costs in hops. They thought using emulsifiers they would get more efficient hop usage. Um, so yeah, you're you're sort of removing the polyphenol haze from a heavy dry hop, but replacing it with this emulsifier haze. And I haven't experimented with different emulsifiers. Um, to see if one was more or less hazy. I know that the lecithin in this one is will add a haze to a beer. Uh, but I mean, again, that you know, 10, 15 milliliters per five-gallon batch. Yeah, it's not going to be a lot. We're, we're not going full on, you know, tired hands here. Yeah, but it's, but it's also like that haze from the polyphenols. I think of hazy IPAs as being being more from like the oats and the yeast rather than from the hop fraction. But that that could be like chill haze and things, right? Some of the experiments I've done, it seems like you get a fraction from oats, you get a fraction from the, you get a fraction from everything. And then they just, and they just add up together to be like, Whoa, it's a haze bomb. Back to the efficiency question. So you got, you've, you've stripped out all the aromatic compounds or most of the aromatic compounds out of, out of this pile of hops that, that you put in there. So six pounds total. 
Is there any use left in those hops after that? I mean, like, could you, in theory, take those and add them to a boil to get bitterness, even though you've got none of the other interesting flavor compounds? So I haven't done that yet. I haven't I haven't used those hops. My setup, I think that the hops will not be recoverable from. I think other setups they might be. But uh, my setup, you're basically passing steam through hops for several hours. That steam is going to isomerize everything. And so you're going to have basically these pre-isomerized hops that they have a very strong aroma when you're done with them still. Like when I take, when I disassemble it and I smell it, but it smells like cut grass almost like, like you've just, just, just the, the plant lawn. material. And that's, that's one of the checks I do to make sure that the extraction worked because when I was messing with, when I was optimizing the time, I would take it apart after an hour and I'd smell it and it would still smell like cascade and i put it back together and do it for another hour and then that that aroma goes away but you're left with this this grass basically and i don't i've never taken that forward and used it my flask gets very hot too like it'll get to 250 degrees the glass itself and so i don't know what other things i'm doing to it i'm i would assume i'm burning it yeah you're breaking down other compounds or Right, so there's there's some that's touching the glass directly, but most of it's not, because it's a big pile of, of this stuff in this flask. It's maybe four liters in volume, um, but still, I, I think you're probably cooking some of it in my system. It's a good question, though. I, I think you, if you wanted to, you could probably extract out the alpha acids still, because they're not coming over, and they should be isomerized. So it's something we could try. Use the whole buffalo. Yeah, I was about to say that. Yeah, it's the it's the use the whole buffalo solution. And it's funny because you mentioned previously that uh, you know, hey, you know, this sort of stuff's been around for a while. You know, emulsifiers a hundred years ago, hop extracts in the past, and it's interesting to me to see brewers, craft brewers, coming around to some of this, right? Because I suspect right now, if we were to poll the audience, there would be a fair number of people who would they would disclaim this as that's cheating. You know what you're doing is sort of antithetical to the to the craft movement because you're you're doing this sort of stuff. What do you? What's your response to that? Yeah, burn the witch. Um, yeah, I'm a scientist. Beer is chemistry to me, and that's probably sacrilegious to some in the craft industry. But I think I think the goal of the craft industry isn't to build everything by hand as much as it's to put out the best product possible. Right? I think quality and innovation is what makes craft great, not the fact that it's 100% homegrown. And I think it's, to be blunt, foolish to leave tools on the table. Right, And this is just my, like I'm trained as a classical scientist and... And get out of my way. Yeah, technology is not bad, right? I, I, I have no sympathy for that point of view, I guess. I think it's not cheating because... Because it's better. I mean, <laughs> like, it's how's it more cheating than changing your water profile? How's it cheating, like, to engineer yeast, you know, or, or something like that? It's this is just the next wave. I don't know where people would draw the line in their head, but I, I suspect that there, most people carry around some sort of line where that it just it feels wrong. Well, I'll say I'll say it this way: you don't have to you don't have to do terpene extracts to make a great IPA. You you absolutely don't. I've had 
I've had incredible beers for, from breweries out here, regional breweries in Maryland and D.C., make great hazies, no hop extracts. I will say that there's limitations to that, and we're definitely at those limitations. And if you can save a brewery money, time, increase the quality of their product by offering them like this flavoring component, I don't see the problem. Although, now that I'm saying it out loud, I'm definitely one of those guys that talking with breweries saying like, don't use coconut extract, use coconuts. Because like there's, if you want to have like a stout with coconut in it, coconut extract is incredibly hard to work with and really oily and you probably get a little bit better quality from coconut. I don't think this is going to be like a big division in the brewing industry. Honestly, I just think it's going to be something people adapt to. Some people use it, some people won't. And that's kind of funny because one of my thoughts about this was, again, opening up these little wheat and wheat and bottles with the oil in them directly, you get bowled over by the aroma out of them. But I also wonder, there's always that case of what are we missing by not having the plant material in there, which is the reason why the recipe that I'm using these in my 45th uh, birthday IPA, which will be on another show. Sorry, guys. Combines, you know, not only you know, uh, kettle hops, but it also combines a very large whirlpool, you know, very late, uh, very late cooler whirlpool. Did the whirlpool at 174 mm-hmm. uh, for jokey reasons. And then this stuff to come in and kind of give it the background. So, I'd be curious. I'm tempted to take one portion that I have of this and give it a little bit of traditional dry hopping as well, just to see, yeah, is there is there a perceivable difference? Well, I, I would imagine there is. I've not done that experiment myself of splitting a batch. It's actually on my list of things to do next month. Maybe not. Is, is there a perceivable difference? Because I, yeah, I agree. There's going to be a perceivable difference, but what is it? You know, it's like what what is having the physical dry hop material in contact with the solution offer you that doing the terpenes doesn't and is that necessarily a good thing or a bad thing yeah so i guess my i guess my general impression there is that these aren't meant to replace hops right and so you're not getting you have to have kettle addition hops if you want bitterness this isn't going to add that to your beer there's whirlpool hops at the commercial scale there for aroma and bittering right um there'll be hop contact for hours sometimes in the whirlpool depending on the volume of the container and so that's going to give you something slightly different than this this is really just taking place of that last dry hopping step and i think i think the goal here is to make sure the extraction is complete throwing away all the material that you don't want the chlorophyll and the other the other tannins and and things and and retaining all of the components that you want, which is a 100% aroma addition. And you don't necessarily want it affecting the flavor as much. I have had beers where they have not properly emulsified the terpene fraction, and those beers taste oily. They have like a really oily feel to their mouth, a really oily mouthfeel. So that's going to be a mistake that some breweries, brewers fall into. Look, if there's a mistake that somebody can make, they're going to make it. There's a reason Murphy's Law exists. I got these by emailing you, and we talked uh, talked about this, and you were kind enough to do this for me. If I'm a regular homebrewer out there, how would they go and get their hands on something like this to be able to play around with? Because I think this is just – it's another interesting tool to have in, in, in the toolbox. 
Well, I'm going to, well, we're bringing, we're coming online in the next couple months. We're still commercializing um, this process for the homebrew market. Uh, so we'll come online in the next couple of months. Currently, a buddy of mine in up in New England, he runs a, a yeast lab um, called Maniacal. His name's Justin. He has a commercialized version for the homebrew market of a few hops um, doing terpene extractions as well. So if people want to check out his stuff, you can just Google Mani- Maniacal Yeast. I actually went and checked and it was like, oh, they're, they're sold out. <laughs> yeah, it's a popular product. Uh, there's just not a lot of not a lot of places that are selling it. Um, so he and I talk about this a lot, honestly. Um, and I think I think we're going to come online in the next month or so, and just do a little pilot pilot programs to see what the interest is and where we can go. But um, you can follow. I think we're patent.beer is our website, and it, the website should be up by the end of the week or shortly. Um, then the web shop should go up about a week after that. Like I said, I think this will be another interesting tool for people to to use. And yes, patent.beer uh, does redirect to uh, patentbrewing.com. Yeah. Well, before before we leave, any any last thoughts on, on the world of hops or on terpenes or anything else that you think that people should know? I mean, I'm a huge hop head. I, I started my my beer education out west. I'm from Phoenix originally. And back in the late 90s, when I started drinking as a kid, uh, it was stone or nothing um, back then. And people today probably can't imagine how sparse the market was back then. But in 1999 oh, in can. Phoenix, what's that? I said I can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, we're, we're old. No, but back, to back then it was stone pale ale and stone IPA. And I thought that was the end all be all of beer. And I'm so excited that that craft has continued to push this hop boundary. And I think there's a new this new great tool, this slash new old tool that we can bring back and and help people with these real problems at the production scale of losing. I was talking with a brewer about a month ago about this process, about this project, and he told me that he loses about eight percent on his dry hopped beer. Oof. Pack it like that's just from adding the dry hop, getting it to the keg. He says he's losing about eight percent. Yeah, and, and keep in mind, folks. I mean, that's eight percent beer that he can't sell, which means that's eight percent of income lost. So yeah, that that's a big difference. Yeah, and people and people, in my market. I don't know that much about about your market, but out here, people are super thirsty for those heavy IPAs. Those hazies are everyone's best sellers right now. Um, more hops, the better. Matt, again, thank you so much. I really appreciate the hop extracts here. I can't wait to report back the flavors that they give. And like I said, once I get that stuff going, that's when we're going to talk about the recipe so I can actually talk to you about what the real impact was. But in the meanwhile, boys and girls, brewers and brewsters, if you want to get your hands on on this, keep an eye either on Maniacal uh, Yeast or coming shortly at patent.beer. You can uh, catch Matt's efforts and, you know, you can also hear him on the Milk the Funk podcast. How often does the Milk the Funk podcast come out? Yeah, it's a good question. So we had a, a short hiatus um, for a few months, uh, but we just released our eighth full-length episode. We have Wiki Quickies which are just one-on-one interviews. And then we've got the panel discussion. So we released the eighth one of those um, in early April. And we try to do one a month. 
but I think last year we did 10 and I think this year we've done two so far. So we're, we're a little bit far behind, but we're really a, a long form podcast. So our, our episodes are usually 90 to 120 minutes long and we just do them when we can get everybody on the, on the phone. Well, so go and, go and subscribe to the Milk the Funk podcast. And obviously, you guys have heard me talk about the Milk the Funk wiki and the Facebook group. If you have any interest in the idea of any sort of wild, sour, funky, or alternative fermentation cultures, go check out that group. Go check out the wiki. Go check out the podcast. Uh, you, can learn a, you can learn a surprisingly large amount. It's a great resource. And thanks for having me on the show. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of The Brew Files. We hope that you enjoyed this nose bomb of an episode. Don't forget to check the show notes for Matt's URLs and a link to the wild video of hop distillation that he made. I hope my sense of smell won't be too spoiled, and we'll talk about the resulting beer in an episode soonish. But what do you think? Are hop extracts cheating or just another tool? What's your line in the brewing sand, and how would you use hop terpenes? Remember, if you have show ideas, styles, brewers, techniques, ingredients, etc., you can drop us a line at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. You can reach us at Denny at Experimental Brew or Drew at Experimental Brew. You can find us on Twitter at EXP Brewing, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Reddit, and just about every homebrew forum out there. And, of course, you can always find us at www.experimentalbrew.com. Don't forget, you can support the podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Click the AHA BrewSwag.com code word experimental, Amazon Brewers, Friends, or BYO links on the website. And by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is Wings of Rescue, a private pilot's organization dedicated to flying shelter pups from where they'll possibly be euthanized to where they'll be in demand and adopted. So until next time, remember the brew is out there and we'll see you on the next episode of The Brew Files. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com.